I believe in protesting with economic inclusion. I believe in protesting with closing the wage gap. I believe in protesting by ensuring that we have power and that we are the decision makers for where capital goes, for our communities, for our companies, for our people. That is Kelly Jones, the co-founder of 68 Capital and Be Nimble, talking about the venture capital community's historical hesitance to invest in companies that have diverse founders. And this is IBJ's Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. This podcast is brought to you by Cummins, Inc. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Freedom Forum podcast. I'm your host, Angela B. Freeman. I'm a Kentucky native who came to Indianapolis over 20 years ago to pursue a career in science. Over the last two decades, I've transitioned to a law career, all the while being a staunch advocate for women and girls in STEM and law. I'm super excited to host this podcast that will explore the intersection of business, race, and gender. This podcast will create a forum to have crucial conversations and sometimes uncomfortable discussions with local business leaders about the challenges and opportunities faced as we consider how our corporate community can advance equity in the way we hire and promote employees, choose vendors and contractors, and fund new companies and ideas. Ultimately, it is our goal to ensure that Central Indiana continues to foster high-growth sectors that attract, retain, and build our pipeline of diverse talent. Our first guest is Kelly Jones, the co-founder of 68 Capital and Be Nimble. Here's our conversation. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on this very first episode of the IBJ's The Freedom Forum with yours truly, Angela B. Freeman. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I should know, this is a pretty historical moment as we are recording our inaugural episode of the Freedom Forum podcast, less than one month after the first ever national recognition of Juneteenth also known as the Emancipation or Freedom Day, right? Seems appropriate. Marking the end of slavery in the United States. So this all seems to be extremely fitting, and we are so pleased to have you here and excited to have you with us today. And congratulations on all of your recent success as Managing Director and Co-Founder of 68 Capital. But before we talk about 68 Capital in detail, will you tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background before you became a venture capitalist? Because I think we may have a few things in common. Yeah, well, one, thank you so much for having me. It's like a pleasure to be the first guest on something called the Freedom Forum. Uh, <laughs> like that, that is definitely my speed. And I'm excited to be here with you. We've obviously known each other for quite some time. So I'm excited that I get to do this with you. It's so funny. Like I moved back to Indianapolis about four years ago and I feel like people may only know me from four years ago, right? Like they don't know what's happened, you know, previous to 2017, yeah. previous to be nimble, all of those things. And so I love sharing kind of what my journey is. But um, I'm born and raised here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm a North Central grad because people always ask, where'd you go to high school? Yeah. Went to Tennessee State University undergrad, moved back here for law school, uh, ended up going out to New York um, immediately and worked in the music industry. And so I immediately became an entrepreneur. I started an experiential marketing company where I did go to market and in-person events for startups. So uh, my career in tech started in 2008 and I got the opportunity.
continue to do some amazing, amazing work at South by Southwest and A3C. I always tell people, if you've ever been to South by Southwest, anything, anytime between the years of like 2010 to 14, you've probably seen something that I've created. And because it was this intersection with working with startups, but also in this realm of music, which was my passion, yeah. um, not a musician, but to work in the music industry, um, which is fully built on technology. Sure. I just really saw this really interesting intersection, like technology, culture, but then also saw that there was just a lack of people that looked like me in the space. And so again, with sort of that intersection of music and tech, uh, we built a platform called EarSketch that taught kids Python and Java using music production. Wow. Uh, we did that in partnership with the National Science Foundation. Um, we got to do some really incredible tech talks at all of the music universities in partnership with Grammy. Uh, we did partnerships with Google and all sorts of in incredible, incredible things. And all of a sudden, I found myself sort of at this really interesting place where I was, you know, trying to find ways to get more black people into the tech ecosystem, into the tech careers, while at the same time, Google and Facebook and all of these companies were releasing their diversity data, right? Yeah. And we were learning that, you know, they have one in 2%, you know, black and Latinx people employed. And we were seeing the numbers around women, you know, be really, really dismal. And everyone was all of a sudden really interested in diversity and inclusion. And, and this was, I mean, it's 2021 now. I mean, this is we're talking seven, eight years ago. Um, and that's really when I realized, like, I'm like, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. You know, I want to see more people that look like me in this space, working in this space. If that's, you know, the route you want to go. As an entrepreneur, I wanted to see, you know, more founders get money. We we tried to launch two or three startups when I worked with the Young Guru and couldn't get any funding. I think they still think they're great ideas, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that was that was really interesting. And then I got the opportunity to move out to L.A. and took on a job uh, as head of sales and marketing for Hip Hop DX, which is um, a hip hop blog that was under the Complex Network. It recently got acquired by Warner Music. And then later got to uh, lead sales over at Blavity, uh, which is a millennial-driven media platform. And I think a lot of people know it for Afrotech. And so I got the opportunity to still like work very closely in the tech kind of space as an operator, focus mostly on technology and technology brands in my role as sales. I also was still working at, with Guru at the time, and we helped launch the first Techstars Music Accelerator out in LA. Wow. So, you know, I, I was doing all this over the course of years. I didn't realize that I mean, I knew it was going to be a thing. Um, I just knew that it was passion. I was passionate about it. I knew that I loved it. I loved, you know, being a woman of color in technology, you know, even though I'm not a coder, being in this space was just important to me. And then seeing more people that look like me in the space already, but also how do we grow that? Right. And so it was kind of at an impasse. It was 2016 was really kind of ready to think about, well, do I want to go home? You know, I think I, I want to like be closer to my family again. And my cousin, who's also my co-founder over at Be Nimble, Jeff Williams, you know, came to visit me in LA. And, you know, we got the talking. And all of a sudden, you know, all of these things kind of emerged. You know, it started with Party Gras and the focus of raising money to start tech programs for youth and nonprofits and built and emerged, you know, kind of our strategic plan, which was like, first, we're going to do education and then we're going to do career um, and then we're going to do entrepreneurship. And that's essentially what we did would be nimble. It's been a long journey, but, you know, I think that's what makes me uniquely positioned to do this work. Right. Like, 
no, I'm not a five-time, you know, entrepreneur, you know, launched companies and exited. I had never made it to the C-suite, you know, but what I do know is culture. I know music. I know technology. I know really great companies. One thing that I've learned about myself is I'm probably the best at picking companies to work with. Um, and I think all of that combined, plus obviously my my work with Techstars and, and different things like that, I think is what really prepared me for this moment to really be able to actively look at hey, I know what VC is. I know how it works. I know how people can get it to be on this side of the table where you not only get to, you know, essentially, you know, invest in people, but as a woman of color, I get to decide where that money and where those resources go, which is just not a power that we've had. And I think that changes everything when we look at the landscape of equality. Yeah, that is fantastic. So I learned just so much right there. I had no clue of your beginnings in the music industry. That is so cool. And and my son would think, absolutely. Why did she ever leave that, right? <laughs> I can still go back and get any, you know, my job back <laughs> if I ever want to. But no, I, I actually don't want to. I, I love being home, you yeah. know, and I love building what we've built. I'm a, I like to build things from scratch. That's just what I've learned about myself over the years. That's why I've loved working for startups. That background, I think, is so important for our listeners to hear the breadth of your experience and the diversity of your experience that's equipped you to be successful right now as you launch into this venture capital world or VC world. Because I fully suspect, as with most diverse women's navigating and leading non-diverse fields, like the ones I'm more associated with, STEM and law, your path is not the typical path, right, of most venture capitalists, especially since I understand that you are the first African-American and Black female VC in the state of Indiana. So thank God you came home, right? I mean, that's, I mean that is just absolutely fantastic. So so let's talk more about 68 Capital mm-hmm. for those who may not um, be familiar. So 68 Capital is an Indianapolis-based seed stage venture capital VC firm supporting Black Latinx women and LGBTQ plus led startups in the Midwest. Recently, 68 Capital closed a $20 million venture fund. Wow. Congratulations on all your success. I know you've been recently featured in so many news and media outlets, Forbes, Essence. I mean, you blowing up. One of my (laughs) colleagues just said, I know a celebrity. No, I know a celebrity. Black Enterprise Magazine. And then more recently, I just saw you in the Wall Street Journal. So that is just fantastic. So please tell us about 68 Capital and where did the name come from and how does this company illustrate a maturation and a culmination of all the things, all your experiences that you've talked about and what has led you to this pivotal and what I truly believe is a historical moment to put Indiana on the map in the VC world? Man, that is such a loaded question. You know what else? Like, you 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 talk through like all of these things that have happened to me over the last two months. And every time I hear them, I still can't believe most of them. Like you said, $20 million fund. I still can't wrap my head around it, to be honest, because it doesn't feel like something, you know, like a person like me would be able to ever achieve, yeah. you know. And I know so many people that haven't. I know how, so many people have tried this, yeah. you know. And I know so many people that are currently in the trenches trying and it may come across as if this was just like out of the blue. And it, and it was not. You know, like I shared, my experience previous to moving back home got me all the way ready for, for the work that we're doing now. 
the work we started doing with Be Nimble, to your point, I think people know us for pitch par- or for Party Gras and Pitch Party and now Garden Party. But I don't think they realize in the background, you know, that we've worked with now 50 plus entrepreneurs through our accelerator, you know, that we've been able to invest almost $1 million in, in non-dilutive capital and resources into these companies fully non-funded by any grant makers, fully funded by ourselves and our events, right? That's like phenomenal. no one was, I think because people get so excited about the shiny stuff that you see, which again, also directly comes from my background, right? I'm used to doing events. So I know that people love like coming to things and seeing new unique things, not realizing that in the background where what we're doing is hiding the medicine in the candy. You see the candy, but the medicine is what's happening in the background. And 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 it's working. Yeah, and people (laughs) may have known that we were doing it. But another thing that we came across, like when we entered coming back into Indy and doing this work was because we were the first to focus on this specifically, to specifically say, we want to see more people, black people in tech, we are going to help fund them through our organization, through our events, and then we're going to raise a fund so we can continue to fund them even more, was something that probably didn't even occur that anyone could do, right? Or certainly we couldn't do. Yeah, right. yeah, And but I know so many people that have. Again, that comes from the experience of, of being on the coast. So yeah, like it, it feels, it's, it's a blessing to, to be here. And certainly, I, I think... All of these experiences, all of these individual things leading up to this is is definitely what what got us here. Um, you know, the name is is certainly representative. It's representative of the year 1968. When we went through the rebrand of Black Hatch to, to, to a new name, it was a process. Yeah. You know, I got the opportunity to work with Innovate Map and a team of really diverse, you know, designers and man in and, and management and, and marketing folks. And Tyler Hill, who currently is is head of design over at Pattern 89, is actually the one that that came up with the name and came up with the design and the feel because I wanted to feel very ethnic. I wanted it to be a representation of who we are. But 1968 in general is about the year. The year 1968 is one of the most pivotal years um, in the civil rights movement, right? It was a time where women were marching, men were marching, black people were marching, Latinx people were marching. You know, we're we're, we're trying to just fight for equality. It's the year that the Civil Rights Act of 1968 passed. You know, it's the year that we lost Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, all of these very historical things that were happening. And when you look up at 2020, especially in the summer, it looked very similar and it says a lot that if we are still trying to find equality in 2020 and 2021 and we fought for these exact same things we marched for these things in 1968 and there's not much of a change something else has to change right and for me I think people protest how they best see fit I call 68 my personal protest because I believe in protesting with economic inclusion. I believe in protesting with closing the wage gap. I believe in protesting by ensuring that we have power and that we are the decision makers for where capital goes, for our communities, for our companies, for our people, right? And, And I believe that if we just don't put resources directly into the hands of black people, of brown people, of women, we're never going to accomplish these things. And we can't continue to put barriers and buffers and conveners and middlemen in between just like put the money in the hands of the people that need it most. If we want to see equality, that's what we have to do. So that's what 68 Capital is about. It's very, very symbolic. I love it. I love everything about it. That is (laughs) awesome. And I knew, I, I didn't know that history, but I knew there was a meaning behind that name. And and as you explain it, it's just phenomenal. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Cummins Inc. 
Cummins Inc., a global power solutions leader, is proud to partner with IBJ's The Freedom Forum. For Cummins, diversity and inclusion is a core value of our company, and we are committed to creating work environments and communities that are welcoming to all people. Combined with technological innovation, Diversity and inclusion is a critical element of Cummins' continued success. It's how we attract and retain top talent and better serve our customers around the world and create stronger communities. We're back with Kelly Jones at IBJ's Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman talking about the importance of venture capital funding for companies founded by women and people of color. You just mentioned the wage gap and 2020 and all that happened. And we're currently seeing a whole national phenomenon occurring in the corporate uh, and business world to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion at all levels of business. And you just mentioned we've been protesting, we've been marching, we've been advocating for these same things for decades, if not longer. And while all of these efforts are not genuine, I'll say quite (laughs) frankly, I personally believe that there have been many companies and particularly leaders that have been awakened to to the realities of racism, inequities, disparities, and, and really are heartened to support real and sustainable change with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And their focus is more on equitable business environments and practices, such as recruiting, hiring, and advancing all people in large and small companies. But clearly, these efforts exponentially increase after the events of 2020. You just mentioned, including the George Floyd murder, the Black Lives Matter movement, and of course, the ravages of COVID-19, particularly for marginalized and diverse populations. All of this has, from my vantage point, collectively illuminated many of the institutional and systemic barriers. We've talked about barriers and their disparate societal impact that have historically and still presently exist to deter and or prevent diverse men and women from meeting their full economic wealth potential and financial freedom. For example, lack of access to capital, you just mentioned it, especially low or no interest capital, right? Lack of generational or familiar wealth lack of educational opportunities generally and especially around finance and technology and entrepreneurship. So I I want to hear from you. How do you believe these events, particularly of 2020, and as they've led into 2021, including this national illumination of racial inequities, the reliance on technologies to keep our whole economy stable, and the struggle of local and small businesses, including entrepreneurs across our country, how have these things factored into the success that 68 Capital is now currently experiencing? Yeah, that's that's one a great and and super loaded question. Um, okay, so I'm I'm gonna start sort sort of at the beginning. One, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad you guys have joined us today, and that you are here at the table with us, finally seeing what we've been talking about for so long. Sure. When we started, be nimble. You know, it's always been a fight, right? And I don't want to say a fight, but it's been 
hard. Like it's hard when you're kind of the first like saying like, you know, we want to see more black people in tech. What that means for us is we want to see them in more careers and we want businesses to think about tech and tech enabled businesses as a business model so that they can raise other types of capital that are available to our community that we're not talking about regularly enough. Imagine coming in and doing that during a time when no one cared about right. that, right? right? Like it was it was for us it was why just tech or small businesses don't want that or not all businesses want to grow and scale. And in my head, I'm always like, but why? Like, why are we not allowing ourselves the power of wanting and having more? You know, our tagline on Be Nimble Foundation is we are economic developers that are closing the wealth gap using technology. That's been our mission from the beginning. We feel like technology is the vehicle to allow us to get higher paying jobs, whether it's technical or non-technical, if you really want to be real. Like coding is great, but also salespeople make a lot of money and so do HR people and marketing people and all those things to product managers, right? Like there's other so many options. And then two, when we look at our businesses, we know that we're creating businesses more than any other race. However, we're doing it with no capital. We're making less money and they fail at a higher rate too. So there has to be something wrong with how we're talking about this stuff. And we have to, even if I always say this is not for everyone, but you know, we should know all our options. And I think that's really important. So it feels good after years and years of work to finally be in a position to be helped. Right. right. Like I mentioned, we started, you know, attempting to raise this fund in 2019. We weren't getting any traction in 2019. We weren't getting any traction, you know, little, little bit, but like not as much as when the click happened. And all of a sudden, you know, there were people that were willing to fund our work. Right. Finally, people were saying it's we have to put mu- like we have to fund these black led firms. We have to fund these black led organizations. And like that changed everything for everyone. But the other thing I always have to say is like, it's not lost on me that I'm here because of tragedy. And that in and of itself is sad because the work hasn't changed. I've been, it's, it's, this was going to be the same two years ago as it was today. But the only reason why I'm here today to talk about this is because of tragedy. And I don't forget that. But what it does mean, whether it's genuine or not, is that we now have to be in a position to use it correctly. That's right. Yeah. And so that means that, and I'll say for myself and I would say for anyone else that's in a position where they're having these conversations with corporations or other organizations and institutions, it's, we have to do things totally different than we ever have before. This data has been out there for years. We don't need to spend any more time looking at the data. We don't need to spend any more time talking about what should we do. We need more. We don't need any more information. We've been fighting this fight since 1968. Yeah. I I tell people the business case for diversity has been made. Yeah. I'm not making it anymore. (laughs) You're behind the ball. Yeah. The data's out there. It's been out there for years. And it just continues to get worse. And when I say worse, I mean like we're continuing to do better. Right. You know what I mean? So like it's actually, you know, like now, and I used to say this in my meetings a lot, especially when I was pitching the fund. I would say to people, I'm like, at what point are VCs just being negligent? by not investing in diverse founders. Like, how do you just determine and decide that you will not do it because you don't know them or you don't know that, you know, you don't understand what they're building or, you know, at what point is that just negligence? When yeah. you know that the the exit multiples are higher, when you know the bottom line is higher, when you That's like, right. you, you have this data, you've seen it, right? But you still choose not to make that decision. But, but that tells me, for me personally, that that is what makes clear it is beyond the business. Right. It is beyond the bottom line. 100%. It is beyond the dollar because there's nobody in business who's not in business to make money. So when you lay out a plan that 
is clear, this will make you money and you're still hesitant, it's bigger than that, mm-hmm. right? Which is why we're doing this podcast, why we're having these conversations is because let's get serious and real about what's actually going on. It's beyond the business case. The business mm-hmm. case, like I said, and you know, businesses know, the business case has been made a decade ago, two 100%. decades ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but we still seeing the resistance. We're still seeing numbers in diverse people not getting higher. Um, and that continues to illuminate these issues we're exactly talking yeah. about. I think that's why it's so important, you know, when you're looking at institutions, when you're looking at corporations, people that are putting up way more money into our community than probably ever before, why it's that much more important that people that look like us get it. Because we're the ones that can really make that change and we're the ones that can make those decisions. And we're the ones in the trenches, right? We're the ones on the ground talking to these people every day, like trying to figure out how to give them more resources. And so if you want to see systems change, if you want to see change overall, we have to be more innovative in our solutions. We have to think more forward. Um, I'm glad people are thinking about tech now, but I wish we could have been talking about this five years ago, six years ago. That would have been nice because we would have had a lot more time to do more. And now we're trying to you know, pack it all in to a strategy that's going to happen over the next few years. I'm already three years in in advance now. Like right. we're thinking about, okay, well, the fund's done. Let's go. Like we got to start investing. And now what's the new accelerator? What's the next thing we're going to do? You yeah. know, and always trying to get better, yeah. you know, but I encourage anyone that is really trying to figure out how they make, you know, waves in this space look at the people that are on the ground that are representative of the community that you want to touch. That That's a perfect segue to my next question, because as you and I talked previously, you identified reasons why you believe that having diverse talent and founders in the tech space brings to this startup and entrepreneurial business such necessity. It's not just investing. It's also the need to have diverse people leading these funds. And and you just mentioned um, part of that is because they know the people. They're on the ground. These are people we know we're talking to. We know the issues. But give us some more examples or reasons why you believe it's so important, not just to invest in minority businesses or entrepreneurs, but actually have minorities and women leading these these initiatives. Mm-hmm. Why is that leadership the same leadership that that I'm arguing is necessary at the corporate executive level? It's great to have minority people on the entry level. Everybody needs a job. But it's also important to have minorities and women and diverse people at executive level, right? It goes back to the business case for diversity, which you know we won't rehash. But one, it's if I put a founder in front of a group of of all white male VCs and they are talking about a product that, you know, will likely help under or marginalized communities, they're not going to get it. Yeah. If they're pitching that same idea to me, a person that understands, you know, some of the gaps in our community or what it is that they're trying to build, or even if it's a, a race that's not black, you know, it can be Latinx, it can be Middle Eastern. But the fact that I could identify with the fact that, like, this is probably a problem in their community and they're looking to solve it is one of the biggest reasons. Yeah. Right? We are losing potentially what I'll call, you know, in this case, I guess, unicorn level companies because we don't understand the market, right. because we don't understand the culture. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think that's the biggest the one. need, the problem. It's cultural competency. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a company that we're about to invest in. I'm sure by the time this airs, people will know. But essentially, it's food delivery for international grocery stores. Imagine how many people we had to pitch and people were like, I don't. 
I don't compute. Yeah. You know, he's a Nigerian man. Yeah. When you want to cook Nigerian food for your family, you can't get it at regular grocery stores. Right, right. And international grocery stores are um, sometimes the only place you can go, but they have limited tech. They have limited inventory. Right. They're sometimes hard to get to. And they have zero infrastructure. And so he's essentially created something where they have infrastructure. He's bringing tech to a community that may not use tech as yeah. the first route because they're just trying to get food out to their community. That is why yeah. it's important that people of color are behind the table and making decisions or at least a part of conversation. That's an excellent example and um, a call for what you said, more cultural competency. Mm -hmm. It really is every business model is built on understanding your customer, yeah. right? You and have understand to understand the problem. That's right. You got to understand right. the problem that exists. It's rough. It's hard, you know, and it's hard to explain that to people sometimes, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's it's one of the most true things <laughs> that um, that separates, I, I think, too. The other one is trust, honestly, right? When you are a person that looks like you know, or have some connection to that person, there automatically is a little bit of a guard going down. Yeah, that's right. And we need that. Like, especially you know, relying, you know, when I talk about black people, right? Like, we've used, we're used to kind of being in situations, like even when we think about banks, things like that, where we feel like we don't belong, you know? Um, and seeing someone that just looks like you sometimes is just comfort enough to feel like, okay, maybe this is someone that can really help me, yeah. you know? And it changes everything. And not just doesn't look like you and we don't belong, but don't trust. Don't believe that they have your best interest at heart, right? Mm -hmm. I, I certainly can appreciate that in, in business. Always feeling like, ah, I got to keep, you know, keep an eye on that person. I don't really know their right? true intention. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is a generational and a cultural thing, right? I 100%. think most African-American and black people have that kind of, I don't know. Let me just test the waters. I don't I don't quite know. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a great, great point. So so let me ask um, you. You to date, 68 Capital has successfully received investments from so many reputable companies and organizations here in the city. Eli Lilly and Company, First Internet Bank, Central Indiana Community Foundation or CICF and so many others. What have you seen or heard from these or other organizations that are investing with 68 Capital about their motivation to support underrepresented or minority-owned businesses and entrepreneurs at this time? And what would you tell or advise other companies that are considering investing on a large scale in small local businesses led by a diverse person about the broader impact in doing so? Yeah. You know, I think the, the biggest thing is, in what a lot of corporations are doing and seeing are, you know, we want to help solve these problems, but we have day jobs. We got stuff going on. Like, you know, we have to do our day-to-day our -day work. You know, if we want to invest in founders, we don't have time to go look for them. You know, who are the people that are literally doing this work every day? And how do we then put resources into them? Plug that's essentially yeah. that's essentially what it was. Yeah. You know, Bank of America is one of our investors and they made a huge announcement. It's billions of dollars that they're dedicating to this. And, you know, I think everyone just assumed like, oh, they're just going to give out more loans and they're going to give more money out to to funds. But that's not what they can. They don't have the bandwidth or the people to do that every day. But what they can do is say, well, we can now invest in funds again. Where are the black? Where are the Latinx? Where are the women-led funds that are doing this work? Let's talk to them. Let's see who we like. And let's choose to make investments in them because we know that this money will stretch so much further. Right. If I know that this com this VC is investing in 25 companies and this VC is investing in 50 and all of a sudden, 
impact looks different. Yep. And so, you know, one of the things I would say to corporations that are thinking about this is you don't have to think of it in a vacuum as in like, what do we have to do? What do us as a group or an organization or a company have to put together? What plan are we going to put together um, to make these things happen? I think one part is internally, what things can you do and change that will directly affect your employees? And I think the other part is if you guys want to invest in the community or, or community issues or more black businesses or anything like that, who are the people that are out there doing it? Right. And how can we help support them? How can we build their capacity? How can we give them more support with both monetary resources and our connections and, and people that we know? Can we introduce them to other people? Right. Like that's what we need now more than ever. That's how you build trust. Yeah. Um, and then what you're doing is not necessarily and I don't want to call it appropriating, but like you don't appropriate the work. Right. Like if there's people that are on the ground doing this for little to nothing and there's an opportunity to say, I love what they're doing and they're having a big impact and they're the people that come to them, love them. How can we how can we increase that? Right. How can we help them hire one more person How can we give them more resources that changes that systems change? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, I appreciate you highlighting the fact that it's not just monetary resources. Connections are worth their weight in gold, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, connecting someone, you may not have the money to support them, but connect them to the proper resource or an opportunity that they would otherwise, one of your buddies or friends or your golf mate or whatever that you know may have opportunities or resources that they can that can, they can utilize. I think that's mm -hmm. critical because I think we often, particularly in VC, get caught up in the monetary, mm -hmm. right? But there are plenty other ways to support minority, um, diverse businesses, entrepreneurs, founders that go well beyond just money. Yes. And I, I think that's critical to be said. So we talked about the wealth gap and I, I want to kind of bring this around. We know that the gap in wealth between diverse populations, particularly African-American and the black community versus their Caucasian or white counterparts exists. The latest numbers that I saw as of Q4 2020 showed that on average, Caucasian households have a total net worth that's almost 20 times what the average um, wealth of a black household is. And we've also recently been educated as a nation around the horrors that occurred in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a hundred years ago with the massacre of hundreds of black American business owners and entrepreneurs in the Greenwood district known as Black Wall Street by Caucasian or white Americans. So when you consider the wealth generation that could have occurred for those black entrepreneurs, their families and their beneficiaries over the course of the last hundred years. And so many like them across the country who maybe not weren't in Tulsa, who have been stripped of uh, or denied their rights to financially provide for their families and their loved ones, particularly if they uh, would have been provided direct access to real capital like you and 68 capital are providing to black and other diverse entrepreneurs. How do you think this would have affected the wealth gap in America today? And how do these facts play into your drive and motivation to support diverse entrepreneurs and startups with 68 Capital? Yeah, I mean, there was an article that came out. And, oh, my gosh. I, my apologies for not remembering the source. But it essentially said if we were able to close the wealth gap and the issues around equality, there will be $4 trillion 
of just like added benefit to our economy, yeah. right? So to me, it, it means that if those businesses were allowed to succeed and they were able to grow and there's this generational wealth that started hundreds of years ago, we could potentially be in a much different position Absolutely. as a race. So that's what we lost. And a right? society. Yeah. Because it doesn't just help us. It helps everybody. It helps everybody. Right? 100%. That's right. And, and so that's what we lost. And so that's what we're trying to catch up from. On right. top of slavery. Right? right. Like we've still got those 300 years we got to add on too. Right. So there's just a lot of catching up that we have to do. You know, again, I, I, I say like our tagline since we, we launched Be Nimble, especially in 2016. And, and obviously that aligns directly with. 68 is, you know, we see technology as an opportunity to, to close the wealth gap. And I don't know if people really understand why we say that, right? One is, you know, one is the higher paying jobs. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, there's never, not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. That's okay. And not everyone's meant to be a coder. That's okay too, right? But and not everybody's are, meant to go to college. Yeah. And, and everybody's not meant to go, like there's so many, but there's so many pathways into this world. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the quality of life is better. The stress is less, you know, like I think um, now we're seeing it more with people being more remote, but I remember, I mean, my, every job I've had has been remote. Yeah. You know, I've been remote for 10 plus years. Yeah. I love that. Like Zoom was my mainstay, you know, having, you know, unlimited time off where you could take time off whenever you got rid wanted to and didn't have to worry about PTO, being able to wear jeans to work, which again is now normal. But before it was like, you can wear whatever you want to work. You don't have to, you know, worry about sort of that, you know, am I being judged for my hair? Or, you know, like right. there's those, I mean, those things happen still, but like there was just those freedoms of being able to finally feel like you could be you when yeah. I think about working at a startup or working in a tech, you know, and, and then obviously pay, you know, like certain jobs just pay significantly more than any other jobs. You know, what is a call center person, you know, at a, a bill collector is, you know, a customer, uh, customer experience person making way more money than, than that 12 or $10 that they may be making, right? It's a little shift in just thinking about the opportunity on the entrepreneurship side. It is. It's transformational. Our fund specifically, most of its LPs are women and people of color. I specifically did that because I wanted to make sure that people that had wealth that may have never invested in a fund like this or an asset class like this had an opportunity to see returns. Yeah. And that not just only go to, you know, white LPs or, or, you know, companies like that. Right. Like we have plenty of those. And that's not to say that we don't. But there's an opportunity for us to be able to grow wealth. That's right. right. Sure. And then as we invest in companies and they do well because they have a leg up because they have funding, their companies do well. And then their employees who have, you know, options and stock do well. Yeah. Right. And then when those companies sell, like what we've seen with exits with Angie's List or interactive intelligence being bought by Genesis or exact target, you know, being sold to Salesforce. And you all of a sudden see these massive exits of billions of dollars. And then the people that are in the C-suite are people that look like us. Right. That changes everything. everything. Yep. Right. All of a sudden we're building out more funds and more startups and employees are, are having like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in their accounts because they had some stock options that went public. And me as an investor, you know, creates wealth. I'm not rich by any means right now. You know, I'm just leading a fund. But like I have one company that does really well. All of a sudden I'm in a different position. Yeah. Our yeah. investors that look like me or that are women that are Latinx or, or Middle Eastern also now have additional wealth. To, and then the thing about Diverse people, especially black, Latinx, all of us, we love reinvesting in our communities. It's all and about the community. And when we have the economic power to do so, yeah. when we are at the jobs that are paying really well, when we are building companies that are able to exit and, and create lots of value, when we're investing and all of a sudden our assets look differently, we invest that back into our community and all of a sudden we have the economic power 
that I was just talking about. My personal protest becomes true yeah. all of a sudden from one thing. And I'm just one organization. There's hundreds of more of me's out there. You know, we do that a few times. All of a sudden, things look different much quicker. The whole than dynamic changes. Everything changes. Everything and all we need changes. is one. One yeah. to start it. Yeah. Just that, need one. That that. But it and it's that hope and it's that drive and that reality that you know, people like you and me and so many others hold on to because we are the people mm -hmm. who are investing back in our communities, our families, our, our organizations to lift as we climb, right? Mm -hmm. You just said, I'm not rich. I'm certainly not rich, <laughs> but we are blessed to be in a position where we can pull people up as we continue to go up. And I think, you know, that's a blessed position to be in and just allows us to do more mm -hmm. with more, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so we're getting ready to wrap this up, Kelly, but this has been just a wealth of information. It's been so important. I so appreciate you coming and sharing some time with us, giving us the real on, you know, your journey, where you are now, where you've been, where you're going. But as we close, I'd like to ask you a final question. And that is, would you share with us, our listeners, two to three tools or tips you would advise any underrepresented or, or marginalized diverse person interested in getting VC funding for their startup or small business, as well as any advice or tips you would give investors looking to invest in diverse businesses or small companies. You know, I would say my advice to any founder or entrepreneur or small business that might want to consider VC as a capital that they take on is you do not have to be an app company in order to get access to this, right? Hmm. I always say tech is not a industry. Tech is a business model. Tech is a way of life. Tech has to be in your business in some way in order for it to be as successful. Right. I think what we've seen, especially here, is that most investment does go into the software companies, the B2B SaaS, the ag tech, bio, what we see here. Um, what we're not seeing a lot of here and what 68 does is we invest in consumer. We invest in consumer because, funny enough, my entire background is consumer. Right. right. And so we invest in media companies. You know, we invest in CPG. We invest in beauty, health and wellness brands. We also invest in software and apps and all of that, too. You sure. know, like that's it's definitely in my wheelhouse. But I want people to understand that if you have a skincare brand, we can make you a scalable model. You know, you can look at Shea Moisture. You can look at Carol's Daughter. You can look at um, right here in Indiana and up in Northwest Indiana, Myel Organics just took on $100 million in private equity. That is VC money too, right? Yeah. Like that's equity-based yeah. capital, right, yeah. to grow her business. So it's, it's not about, you know, what the business is or, or how it's situated, whether it's Main Street or not. It's all about how you build your business model. It, it's hard. It's rough. It, again, I always say it's not for everyone, but you can have access to this yeah. and I can help. You know, I, I would say the other thing for people that are looking to invest in diverse founders, you know, it's as simple as who are the diverse investors in my network? You know, who are the people that are directly serving entrepreneurs in my network? Who do I know that can invest me or introduce me, sorry, to to different founders that don't look like me? How do I get plugged into those networks? Or if you can't just, you know, find the right deals, 
can I, as a VC, put money into another fund? I have a couple of VCs that put money into my fund because they saw the value in me being able to pick and make decisions. You can go that route too. Right. Um, it doesn't always have to be you. Right, right. You know, and I think that's what we have to make okay. Yeah. It does you don't have to solve the problems for us all the time. It is okay for you to enable someone else, yeah. you know, to solve a problem too. So man, Kelly, I want to get up and do my church dance <laughs> because you you've preached up in here and I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you educate me on the VC world. This is not my background. You and I talked about that, but also more just continuing to invest monetarily, economically, emotionally, right, into our community. From seeing that from years and years ago and sticking with it when it wasn't the cool, sexy, in vogue thing to do. And, and more, I'm so impressed and encouraged by your current success because your success will will lend to someone else's success right the ability for our community to see you and see you be successful in this space as the first african-american black vc in indiana i think is just phenomenal i appreciate your legal background your mind your intellect and you're just down home reality i'm trying to get home back home with my people you know <laughs> I think it's phenomenal. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Like I'm, I continue to be so gracious, so grateful. Like God, why? Like why me? Like why did you put me here to do this? And I think it's for like that. Right? Yeah, exactly this. Um, so thank you for having me. Thanks again to Kelly Jones for being the first guest on IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman, and thanks to Cummins Inc. for sponsoring the Freedom Forum podcast. We'll be back in September with a new episode.